And I want just to pick up and look at the last two verses of a, of a section. Uh, it's in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And from verse 11, uh, it's Paul's charge to Timothy, where uh, he's drawing to the end of his letter that he's writing to uh, the church at Ephesus. Uh, and speaking to Timothy in particular here, and he sort of encourages him to fight the good fight and to make a, uh, uh, you know, to, to press on in his Christian walk. And then from verse 15, and just from a little way in, I, he, he has an excursus and he just overflows. Uh, he just sort of he runs on from what he's saying and starts talking about the God whom they together worship and love and adore and serve. And he speaks in there of one in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verses 15. I'll read from verse 15, but I just want to pick up from where he starts talking and describing God. And so from verse 15 he says, which God will bring out in his own time. God, the blessed, the only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honour and might forever. One of the things as an army chaplain is that it's very easy uh, for people to come up and engage you talking about things that are spiritual. You know, you wear the cross on the lapels, uh, you're deemed to be the God botherer. And so if they want to talk about something that relates to God or to Christ uh, or to things that are spiritual, certainly, uh, you know, I'm the man or the military chaplain is the person. And so as people come, they expect me to have a view about God. But uh, it's not too long as you, you begin to uh, talk to people but that you see that people have views about God. And uh, they like to tell me their view about God. Well, to me, God is this, this and this. Or I think God is like that. And uh, as people, uh, I suppose, uh, give out the picture or the view or the mindset that they have about God, it's very clear that uh, it's often uh, limited to being a part of creation. Uh, or their view of God is dependent upon creation in some measure. Uh, their God is usually limited or finite or weak or malleable. I have to throw that word in for Truman because it's a physics word, you know. Something that can be moulded and twisted and shaped. They falsely think at times that God is near and that he's more able to help uh, because he's uh, just nearby and I can just tell him what to do. Well, as uh, I have brought your attention, and please uh, take, me, uh, take the time to open your Bibles and to keep it open at 1 Timothy chapter 6. As we go to those verses in 15 and 16, what we see is a very different picture of God. We don't see a God who is limited. We don't see a God who is finite. We don't see a God who is malleable. We don't see a God who is in some way bound and limited by creation. But we see a God who is sovereign, a God who reigns, a God who rules, a God who is powerful, a God who is immortal, 
A God who is to be worshipped. A God who is to be praised. And so today, it's again, we're in Timothy and I don't want to sort of try and uh, take you outside of the intent of what Paul is writing here to Timothy. And yes, he's writing this pastoral letter to him. And yes, he's addressing issues in the church uh, that uh, need to be laid out for the church that is forming. Uh, but let's, let's in some ways join with him as, he, as Paul himself just couldn't help but begin to talk about God. He's constantly drawn back to him in the context of the church that he's writing in order for the church and his goals for the church and his desire for the church, the God who rules and reigns in the church is the sovereign, is the great I, I am and he demands your honour. He demands your obedience. So we could distill it down to, that, to this statement that the, there is a living God and the living God, the sovereign God, demands your honour. I want to try and just do two things. Uh, and that is firstly to say, well, look, okay, I've, I've used the term here, sovereign. Sovereign God. And so let's try and understand what that word means. Uh, and so that's probably a bit of a broader uh, overview of the word sovereign. And then secondly, to try and say, look, let's drill down into the text and look at some of the specifics when we think of a sovereign God. So an explanation of sovereignty and then some of the specifics of sovereignty. Two things. Let's, uh, let's give it a go. So sovereignty. Okay, we have a sovereign God who demands your honour. And when we think of that sovereign God, we uh, need to understand that when we come back to the scripture, the scriptures always presuppose that God is sovereign. And if we were to go back and, you know, there were numerous readings we could have done today. Uh, and if we had gone back and looked at Genesis 1 and 2, we would have seen there that at, in the, the creation of this world that we are a part of, uh, there is the, an assumption that is made that the God who called into being this world that you and I are a part of is a transcendent God, that he's a powerful God and that he's a pre-existent God. And all of this underlies uh, who God is. These things are axiomatic. A sovereign, transcendent, omnipotent God always existed. And that's uh, why I did end up going with the, the reading from Colossians that Brenton read. And it's uh, there, those statements that, yes, are directed to the Lord Jesus Christ, but draw us, uh, they just can't help but draw us to that, uh, that sovereign, pre-existent God. He is the image of the invisible God, Christ, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or powers or rulers or authority. All things were created by him and for him. And so here is the God who is to be trusted, to be worshipped, to be obeyed. And how, uh, what a great conflict that is with the world that you and I live in and are a part of. For there we see, no, you know, we have a world that's in the grip of chance. Uh, 
or we have a God whom we've dreamed up in our own minds. Or we've got, uh, like was read from Jeremiah, we've got a God that uh, someone has gone into the forest and, and uh, cut down a tree and whittled it out and stood it up and thought, that's my God, I'm going to worship that. But he's so unstable, we actually have to sort of put uh, guy ropes and stabilise him. And then when we want to move him, we have to pick him up and carry him because he can't walk. Today, man is the measure of all things. But not so with the sovereign God. People think that the world is gripped by chance. You know, you can jump on a motorbike and hurtle down some track and hit a fence and spear off and and, uh, get up and walk away and think, uh, oh, that was lucky. That's just, you know, the way that the stars were aligned at that time. But no, we've got to say there is a sovereign God. People um, say to me, you know, you know, the couple of times I was in Iraq, you know, were you scared over there? You've got to say, well, no, if you believe that you've taken all the appropriate safety mechanisms that, and you're in the place that God has called you to be, then there's a sense of peace that goes with that. Anyway, I'm digressing. Sovereignty of God. And so when we understand sovereignty, we must also say that, yeah, there is a God who is sovereign, but he is not a tyrant. He's a good God and he does good. Okay, with sovereignty goes power, you see. And what happens? We think of power. uh, Your mind goes back to school and the principal. Often you think, you know, uh, well, at least when I went to school, you know, the, the principal waved a big stick. Probably now it's just whoever works in the front office, you know, can give you the scowl if you come in late. Uh, but, you know, we think that people who are sort of gripped with power can use it to line their own pockets or foster their own self-interest. Hitler, Pol Pot, uh, Bennett's been doing a study in, on the pharaohs. And it wasn't until I began to read a little bit about the pharaohs, I thought, well, I never realised I was a bunch of megalomaniacs that they were, but... Uh, you know, uh, that's what goes with power, isn't it? Yes, there are people who do use power for good, uh, the good of their country, and uh, we can think in the Bible of people like David and Joshua and uh, Josiah. There are good leaders. Well, even though there are those who abuse power and some who reflect a certain goodness that goes with power, God uses his power for good and it is inconceivable for him to do anything else. And is that not the gospel in Romans 1? You know, that God, you know, the power of the gospel for everyone who believes, Jew or Gentile, his desire to save and to redeem a people for himself reflects the very goodness of God. So let me say, don't run from God. We think of a God who is sovereign Don't run from him. What's the struggle that you found yourself in? Is it a struggle where you're looking for comfort? That you're looking for strength? That you're looking for forgiveness? That you're racked with guilt? Don't run from God. Because he is sovereign and he is a good God. He is not a tyrant. And he has a rule that lasts. 
He is the potent of time. He is the, as it even says here, he is the king of kings and lord of lords. His rule lasts for all time. Now, I'm more than happy to put my hand on my heart and say, uh, when it comes to Queen Elizabeth, uh, I like her. I think she has ruled well. She has ruled very well. But there's a reality that most of us will see in our lifetime that her rule will come to an end and her rule will be replaced with another, most probably in William. And uh, we can go on and we, well, we could move forward and look and say, yes, and his rule will come to an end and people's rule will be limited. But not so with the Lord. His rule is from everlasting to everlasting. It knows no end. That is the sovereign God. Do you begin to get a picture of a God who's pre-existent, who's there from all time, who is a good God, and as a God who is there from all time, sovereignty, sovereignly order, ordering all things for all time. Do you believe in this God? Do you believe in his sovereignty? And if you do, are you showing that belief by building your life upon it? One of the uh, subjects that I teach to the young soldiers uh, at Kapuka is on belief systems. And I press it home uh, very, very strongly that if you say you believe something, that belief that you have must be lived out in actions. Otherwise, it's not a belief. It's just an ideal or a fanciful idea. Genuine belief is lived out in actions. And so if you genuinely believe in a sovereign God... It ought to be reflected in the decisions that you make, in the stands that you take, the actions that are yours, the mindset that you carry, the prayer life that you engage in. Are you persuaded that God is in control or are you one of those who are naively drifting along, believing that you are in control? Well, that's enough. Let me move and deal with some of the specifics. And uh, look firstly, as we go to verse uh, 15, we pick up from that word God, God the blessed. And so if we're going to drill down now into what what the sovereign God is like, here is the first statement. God is the blessed. Interesting. What does that mean? It's a great word in scripture, the word blessed and blessedness. And blessedness is associated with us and we could sort of uh, describe it as uh, that state of perfect well-being. We go to the, uh, well, we go back to the Old Testament and look at the covenant context of blessing and curses. But to to try and make it a little clearer, uh, we go to the Beatitudes. You know, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who mourn, you know, and certain things will flow on. And so as you do these things, you know, you're blessed. There is a greater sense of well-being and wholeness that is yours. But hang on, we're talking about God. So let's get it right. We're saying here that God is the blessed. That's how he's described, God the blessed. And so here Paul is telling us, God's word is telling us, that more importantly, that that. Uh, God is blessed in himself. 
and that he is the original source of blessing. And he knows what it is to be in uh, absolute uh, well-being and absolute wholeness. He has it in himself. It's intrinsic to himself. In other words, we're saying that God in his perfections has it all. He is self-contained because he has everything in himself that he needs. That's what it means that he is the blessed. He is perfect justice. He is perfect righteousness. He is perfect holiness. And so the list can go on. There is God. He is totally contained within himself, the blessed. Now, think of ourselves. We need things, don't we, to try and give us identity or uh, sort of help us to understand who we are as, as people. You know, we, uh, we look for possessions. You know, we have to dress a certain way. <clears throat> we need things to make us complete. At the end of the day, you could say, look, you know, we need food. We need water. We need things constantly. And these give us meaning. These complete us. But what does God need? Nothing. He's complete within himself. He's blessed. He doesn't need creation. He doesn't need you. He's absolutely complete within himself. And if you want to, uh, to really uh, explore this whole idea, then uh, say to Rudy, uh, Rudy won't listen here, go up to him and use this technical word that we use. It's called the aseity of God, A-S-I-E-T-Y. So go up there and throw that one out. He'll be impressed. And then you can engage in conversation about the God that together you know and love and worship. It's a remarkable picture that's given to us here just in one word. You can go back to the Old Testament. That's why you know, was, I didn't know where to go today in many ways with the Old Testament readings. But there's Moses, you know, standing before the burning bush. Uh, being instructed by God to go and lead the people out of Egypt. Who will I say has sent me when he's got to go and uh, sort of make his case? And what's that statement that God gives about himself? I am. I am. That's the assayity of God. He is just complete within himself. I am the, the self-existent one. I'm complete and I'm perfect and that's the God that you and I are here to worship. Here we go. Two and a half hours later, the sermon comes to an end, but I'm going to do it. Um, If you've got your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 17. Here's Paul talking to the Athenians. And in Acts 17, 24, he says, The God that made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and so on. Continue reading it while I talk because I know you're smart enough to do two things at once. There is God who is the blessed. Well, we march on. Be it ever so slowly. God, the blessed, the only ruler. The only ruler. 
Now, here's a, a challenging word, and it's not the word ruler, but it's the word only. Because, again, what is the day in which we live? It's a day that we refer to generally or philosophically uh, as a pluralistic age. Many gods, many moral codes, many worldviews, many options that you can pursue. And when it comes to uh, God, again, pluralism is a part of it, isn't it? Yes, you know, but uh, that's in the age in which we live. But not so with scripture. There's another word that we use and it's called exclusivism. That is such a word. I don't know, I just made it up. But we'll go with it. There's an exclusive element to God. There's not many ways to God. There's only one way. And that's through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And God represents himself as the only God. As the true God. John 14, 6. I am the way. I am the truth. Picking up again. That phrase, I am. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thank you, Faye. Beautiful. And so we need to go back and and say, look, there is only one way to come to a saving knowledge of God. We go back again to uh, to, uh, to Jeremiah, where he mocks the religions and he mocks the idols. And he mocks the many other options that are out there. And he's sort of, uh, there's, a, there's a certain folly there. Now he says, who can predict the future? Which one of these gods that you dream up can tell you what's going to happen in the future? Give me another god. Give me an example. The folly of the mind of man. That we think that we can sum God up and pass judgment on him. We need to be very careful for the days in which we live. I do need to keep going because the the king of um, the blessed, the only ruler, the king of kings and the lord of lords. I've touched on that, so I won't. Uh, Who alone is immortal. Here we go. The word alone again. There's not many gods that are immortal, but here we have the, the God who alone is immortal. What does that mean? Well, uh, we, Friday night we were sitting around the fire uh, entering into the two topics that they say you should never talk about, religion and politics. We spoke about them both. And I was bemoaning the fact that we have a Labor government uh, that is really uh, being driven by the Greens. And the Greens, uh, who are promoting all of these uh, you know, number one uh, you know, policies that they're pushing through Parliament... Uh, which were not a part of the pre-election debate at all. One of them is euthanasia. And uh, I can go on, and uh, there are many other things about green policy which uh, repulses me. But we'll go with uh, euthanasia. The only one positive thing I can think about euthanasia is that it gets people, again, facing the issue of mortality and that they are going to die. Yes, they might, uh, genetic engineers might think that you can postpone death, But death faces us all. But what do we see about God? We see him described as the breath of life. God is described in the scriptures as the fountain of living waters. He is described as the living God. 
And we come back to the scriptures and we know that here is the God who hung and bled and died, but death could not hold him. And he rose again. And as we look to him and as we believe in him and as we confess our sin before him, the the immortality that Christ has, he gives to you and I. But I'm digressing again. I wanted wanted so hard today to try and just keep it back to God. He alone is immortal. Uh, Who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light. Hang on, what's going on here? I thought that we came to church because God is approachable. That we can draw near to him. That we can know him, that we can relate to him. Is that not the message that Rudy gives to you week by week? But hang on, we've been told here, no, the God of the scriptures, that sovereign God who demands your honour, he lives in unapproachable light. There is a paradox here that we need to get our minds around. Yes, God is approachable. That is true. That is right. Uh, but he is also, a, there is a sense in which we need to understand God as unapproachable. And this is the, the way that uh, Paul is thinking of him here at this particular point. He's thinking of God in his moral perfection. He's thinking of God in his holiness. He's thinking of God as God is apart from us. God is God. And we are men and we are women, we are boys and we are girls. But God is God. And God will always, always be separate from all that he has made. There is a qualitative distinction that we need to get clear in our minds. God is other than what you and I are. We are creatures. What does it, uh, that you know, well-known verse in Numbers 23 God is not like us that he should repent. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not like our thoughts. He is not to be measured by uh, our fallible scales of being. He is the Holy One of Israel. And his habitation is not 12 Nevada Drive or some other city or street. Where is his habitation? Eternity. That is the sovereign God. And so you're being told here in just those couple of words that God is not like man. He's not made and he's not to be taken for granted. And it teaches you and I a valuable lesson about uh, worshipping with reverence. Worshipping with awe. Not being flippant. Not being casual. But being approachable, but, 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 by under, but by being appropriate—that's the word I'm looking for—and uh, understanding that you know, the God whom we gather to worship and to live before is the Holy One of Israel. And ought we not tremble when we see Him in His grand—you uh, know—the the, the, the splendor of His grandeur? And the enormity of his might and his sovereignty truly on display as the high and as the holy one.
but God is approachable. And he has made himself approachable. And he made himself approachable by the sending of his own dear son from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be made as a man and to live under the law, that he might redeem us who are bound by the law. Jesus Christ came to be a mediator between man and God. We couldn't do it on our own. We needed a mediator. And he came and he lived and he hung and he bled and he died. And he took punishment upon himself. And God was pleased in terms of righteousness and in terms of justice with all that the mediator did. And he raised him again to life. And the God-man, Jesus Christ, leads us back to this unapproachable God, to this sovereign God who is high and mighty. How you and I need to reorganise our thinking. How you and I need a wake-up call. This is the God whom we worship. This is the God who rules and reigns. This is the God before whom we give account. The sovereign God, if we were to sum it up again, demands your honour. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we might know you. We are in a privileged position today. We sit here as your people, recognising the great privilege that is ours, of all the people in this town and all the people in this district. You have drawn us to yourself that we might know you, that we might live for you, that we might honour you, that we might glorify you. We pray, O oh God, that you would continue to encourage us with these words, that you might enable us each day as we move forward for you to rest in these truths. Continue to bless us as your people and help us, O oh God, as we live to be a real delight for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.